How are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Welcome to Red Rocks Young Adults. Happy Thursday. How many of you are actually working tomorrow because it's a holiday weekend? Oh, but it's like the biggest phone-in day of the year. Tomorrow, people will be zombies all day. So welcome to your official Friday night, really. So welcome. Welcome to RRYA. We are so glad that you guys are here. And we are in a series called Silver Linings because the city of Denver could use some silver linings right now. Could it not? Amen. You probably didn't know this, but when you moved here, you we tricked you. And it's not the Sunshine State. It is actually Seattle, right? <laughs> And you're like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, it's just terrible. Kurt Cobain could be in, you know, a coffee shop somewhere singing some really depressing music. Like, that is this weather right now. It's just sad. It's just super sad. But thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that we're not in Seattle because the Seahawks are not our team, right? <laughs> and uh, we, have, we have the Lord's team. We have the Broncos. And so, all right. So... <laughs> We are in a series called Silver Linings, though, and for real, we got together as a staff, and the reason that we decided to do this series, the reason that we wanted to do this series is because there are a whole lot of you, a whole lot of us in this room that are walking through tumultuous times, stormy seasons, dark times, and we wanted to preach a series about the reality that God always gives us a silver lining. He always gives us a silver lining. No matter what we're going through, Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. He is our silver lining. He is the overcomer. And so that's what this series is about. Do we have any book fans in the house tonight? Readers, readers, readers are leaders, man. Leaders are readers. It's just how it works. So... So, and I don't know about you guys, you probably engage in lots of different types of books. Uh, I do believe that the book nerds will inherit the earth, and so it's an awesome thing for you to be doing right now. Uh, my favorite type of authors, though, I like to read a lot. I like fiction. I like nonfiction. I like reading different Christian authors and uh, just lots of different stuff. But my favorite type of author is authors who write about redemption because that's ultimately the story of Jesus is a story of redemption. So those are my favorite types of stories. Okay, that's why um, I like things like the Chronicles of Narnia because it's a redemptive story, things like that. But I have a question for you that I'd love for you to ponder because scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus says that he is the author and the perfecter or the author and the pioneer of our faith, that Jesus is an author. And so if Jesus is an author, what, because there's all different types of authors, right? Like there's the Jack Kerouacs of the world and the John Grishams and the J.K. Rowlings. And so what kind of author is Jesus? What kind of author? Is he an ironic author where, you know, you hope for the best, right? And there's, there's hopes and there's promises laid out there. But at the end of the day, it's like an ironic chapter. It's an ironic play. Is he a dark comedy writer? Is he the kind of writer that, you know, writes darkness in, but, but, you know, it's funny sometimes, and so in that way it's somewhat palatable? Is he a romantic author? Like, what kind of author is Jesus? And I would like to build a case tonight that Jesus is only capable of writing the most powerful and glory-filled stories. He is only capable of writing stories that are full of glory and full of power. Is the only way Jesus knows how to write a story. And that's the case that I'm going to try to build for you guys tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to John 11. We're going to be reading a story that most of you are familiar with. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, hold them up. 
okay, if you got your iPhone, cool. All right, sweet. That's good to know. We'll take that. We'll take that. Bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we got free ones over here. Don't feel ashamed. Like, I take like five of them a year. I'm like, oh, I forgot mine. My bad. So seriously, just, just go grab one, okay? John 11, John 11, it says this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was also, or who was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, the one that you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness shall not end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified by it. I titled tonight, if you are taking notes, the author of glory, the author of glory, okay? So let's bow our heads, invite the Holy Spirit to be here. Jesus, thank you for tonight, and I invite you here, I love you. I love who you are, I love who you are for us, and I agree with you tonight that you have something for your people and that you are for your people in a way that we have only come uh, to the cusp of understanding. God, that there is a glory that you want for your people in this room. There is a power, there is a life that you want for the people in this room. And I pray that tonight that uh, this would just be, uh, we would set the stage for you to move. We welcome you here, Jesus. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So how many of you in here make a huge deal out of your birthday? It's my, I love that it's mostly girls. I heard y'all. Um, it's not your birthday, right? It is your birth month. Thank you. Right? When I was growing up, my birthday was not a big deal. Okay, I mean, it was. Like, my mom and my dad always made sure that we had a birthday dinner, you know, sometime during the weekend of my birthday, and we were all together, and maybe a few presents were exchanged. But it wasn't like, it wasn't, a, I mean, it wasn't an event, okay? And I, I really felt, it wasn't that I felt lack or I didn't feel loved or anything like that. But I realized when I started hanging out with different friends, and especially when I started dating, that there are people, and, and they do birthdays right. <laughs> like, like, they make sure that it is the biggest deal possible. And when I met John, I realized that his family loved birthdays. And it wasn't just, a, you know, a weekend where, or like one day of the weekend where you got together and had a dinner, but... There was like birthday breakfasts and birthday lunches and birthday dinners, right? And then there was like a special plate that the birthday boy or birthday girl got. And it was like, happy, but you're special. Happy birthday. And then, you know, we got like, he, I was like, he is doing his birthday right. His mom is doing his birthday right. And he would get presents and there would be like his cake, whatever he wanted his particular cake, his particular meal, you know, and it was multiple, multiple events that happened for John's birthday, right? And so we're early on in our dating relationship, and I call him, I've got a new job, and I said, oh my gosh, you know, I'm calling him on the way to work, driving down I-25, and I said, hey, I've got this big meeting with my boss, and you know it's a new boss, and so, and you know, you know, girls, how we are, like, sometimes, like, I just dive into the, I don't even ask him how he is, like, I'm just like, let me tell you about my stuff, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, babe, I got this meeting. If you could pray for this meeting, I really want to impress my boss. I really hope that it goes well, blah, 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 blah. You know, I really like my job. I want to keep my job. That kind of a thing. We're well into the conversation, about 10 minutes into the conversation. He has yet to say a word. And he finally goes, so were you going to wish me a happy birthday or? Dude, I know. Dude, I know. Come on. I know. Thank you. Okay, so. So, 
what I said next, I knew that my future marriage was hinging on it, right? And so I was like, so I thought really quick, and I was like, of course I know it's your birthday, babe, but I didn't want to make a big deal out of it because I have a huge surprise for you tonight, okay? And then, I'm, and then I figured something out. And so I realized, I realized that year that I had some ground to make up. And so every year after that, I have made sure that my spouse feels appreciated and cared about and that the birthday is an important day. And so two years ago, we had just, well, not two years ago, a year and a half ago, we had just had our first kid, and his birthday came a couple weeks after her. And I didn't want to forget his birthday. I didn't want it to just, you know, be passed over because of everything that had been going on in our family. And so with a couple of friends, I planned this birthday party, and it's awesome. We rent out the front of a restaurant, and we have pool tables, and we have friends, and, like, the whole thing. I send out an Evite, and it's like, shh, it's a surprise. Don't tell him, you know, kind of a thing. It's going to be awesome. Everybody's there. And his coworker, I kid you not, it's the day before the party, and his coworker walks up to him, and he's like, oh, hey, bro. And he's like, hey, uh, is your birthday party, is that tomorrow or Saturday? Dude, yeah, dude, right. And he calls me and he's like, Jess, hey, uh, I know you're planning me a birthday party, you know. And it was one of those moments. Have you ever had a time in your life where what you planned, what you intended, the thing that you were writing out, the script that you were writing, the thing that you were planning, it just, it just got messed up somehow. Maybe for you, you were planning your rehearsal dinner, and you've got it all planned out. It's perfect, and then the caterer never shows. Or you're planning your perfect date for your girl, and it's outside, and it's under the stars, and then it rains. Or you're planning, you know, you've got a day, and you're like, or you don't plan, no, what, none of you plan dates? It's cool. It's cool. Do not just Facebook her, fellas. Plan a date. Um... I'm sorry. Hey, I'm the one that forgot a birthday. I'm not digging on you that much. All right, so maybe for you, you know, you're like, you're going to get a bunch of chores done during the day. You're going to get a, a lot, a whole list of things done during the day. And so, you know, you get in your car and your car won't start. Maybe for you, it was that you planned out your future college. You planned out your internship after college. You've got everything set. But then a family member gets a diagnosis. There are times where we make plans and we have intentions, but then somehow they get messed up. And here's what you need to realize about the world that we are living in today about the world that you and I were born into, about the world that when you walk out these doors that you interact with, and that I interact with, the world that has chaos, the world that has wars, famine, strife, death, that this was not the plan. This was never, this was never the way that it was supposed to be. This was not the plan. God, when he initially, when he initially built the world, he built it in such a way that it was perfect and it was glorious. And God's original intention for all of humanity was glory. His original intention for all of us in the room, for all of his creation, for all of his children was perfected glory. 
You read the Genesis account, and if you haven't read it recently, I would encourage you to because it gives you a glimpse into the heart of the Father the way that other things in Scripture just don't. Because this is what he planned. This is what he is authoring. This is what he's writing. And he writes this, and he says, I am hovering, my spirit is hovering over the waters. And at one point he speaks and he says, let there be light and there is light. And then he separates the heavens from the, from the sea and then he separates the land from the oceans. And then it says that he creates, during one of the days, he creates all of the creatures in the sea. And it says that the sea was teeming with sea creatures. Teeming, which is this word meaning overflowing with abundant. It is this abundant creation. He creates the land and the vegetation and it's lush. There's rivers running through everything. There's no portion of land that isn't touched by some portion of water. It doesn't have beauty to it. He creates the animals on the land and he creates the birds in the air. And this is not like what you see on the animal planet where you see some like pride of lions taking down a gazelle because what he created was, was perfect and was without death. And so what we, we would have seen and what we would have experienced was a whole bunch of animals and a whole bunch of creation just living in perfect harmony. The Bible says that someday the lion and the lamb will lay down together, and that was what it was like in the Garden of Eden. It was beautiful. And then God creates his crown of creation. He creates man. And he says this, God created man in his own image, Genesis 1. In the image of God, God um, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God, what? Blessed them. He blessed them. That word blessed means happy. It also means to be envied, lacking nothing. Creation, Adam and Eve, the original humans, lacked nothing. God created glory. It goes on and it says this, Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which is yielding fruit and yielding seed. It shall be food for you, and um, to every beast of the earth, sorry, and to every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on earth which has life, I have given to you. Um, an evergreen plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. God creates perfection. He creates glory. What he is authoring for us, what, is he, what he is creating for us is perfect. It's probably 75, a balmy 75, 78 degrees. It's not like right now. It's beautiful. And not only do we have perfect communion with God, but we have perfect communion with one another. Adam and Eve had nothing to hide with one another, and they had nothing to hide with God. Perfection, glory. This is his intention. This is his will. This is what he made us to be. And in his goodness, he gives humans this thing called free will. And he says, I'm going to give man and woman, I'm going to give you free will. And I don't have time to get into how amazing our God is for giving us free will. But I'll leave it at this. He gave us free will so that we would not simply just have his will, but so that we could choose to align ourselves with Jesus, so that we could choose to align ourselves with his will. Otherwise, in that case, the creator is simply creating a bunch of creation that, that's awesome and beautiful, but is simply puppets for his will. 
Whatever he wants, that's what they do. But instead, he created a bunch of beings that could choose on their own to choose him back and to be in community with him. He gives us free will. And you guys know act two of the play. But it goes something like this. There was a fallen angel named Lucifer. And he comes in the form of a snake to Eve and he tempts her and he says, well, that tree that's in the middle of the garden, you know that that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God just doesn't want you to have whatever it is that he has and so you should probably just take it for yourself. And so Eve does and she takes the fruit and she eats it and Adam's sitting right there and he eats it too. And the two of them in a moment make a decision that is so costly, it's the most catastrophic event to have ever occurred in all of humanity. And I don't think that we properly give her give it what to do. We think it's a Sunday school lesson. We think it's a felt board scene. The fall of humanity, we just experienced an earthquake in Nepal. Devastating. Thousands of people are dead. Devastating. It is simply an aftershock of the fall of man. Most devastating day in all of humanity. God God, our God, writes perfection. Our Jesus writes glory. And sin enters the picture and it destroys everything. And I don't think we understand it all the time because we talk about sin and we think it's something that we do. We, th- we say, oh, well, you know, if you steal a bag of chips, it's sin. It's something that you do. But sin isn't something that you do. It is a disease that comes in and it actually destroys your inner man. Romans 8 says that we are in bondage to decay because of sin. Our inner man is dead and it's permanent. And there is nothing you or I can do about it. G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. According to most philosophers, God, in making the world, enslaved it. Some of your philosophers or your philosophy professors probably talk like this, that the God that they know um, isn't a good God at all. But he says this, according to Christianity, in making it, God set it free. God had written not so much a poem, but rather a play, a play he planned as perfect. Amen but which had necessarily been left to human actors and stage managers who since then had made a great mess of it. God, this is, and you need to understand this because this is who he is. God can only author glory. God can only author what is good. God can only write beauty. It's all he's capable of. You need to understand that tonight. And so we return to the story of Lazarus, and it says this, John 11, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, and whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness shall not end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the man, son of man may be glorified by it. And the first thing I want to point out from the story of Lazarus tonight is this. God intended glory for Lazarus. Just the way that Jesus at the beginning of creation is writing glory into his creation. He is writing and he is willing glory for Lazarus. He says, this shall not end in death, but shall end in glory. 
And see, whenever we address the problem of pain as, as a society, as Christians particularly, whenever we talk about the problem of pain, we come into a theological conundrum. We do, because we know from Scripture that God is omnipotent, that he is sovereign, and that he is all-powerful. But we also know that he allows pain. Because we read about this in... Um, We read about it with Peter. Satan comes to God and he asks that he may sift Peter and God gives him allowance. He gives him permission. Satan comes to God and he asks for permission to work and to steal from Job and God gives him permission. He asks God for permission to go and to tempt Jesus in the desert. And so we know from scripture that God allows pain. He allows it. And so for us as Christians, we try to do a good job of understanding his sovereignty in relationship with our pain. And we want to defend his sovereignty so much that we back ourselves into a corner and we say, well, I know that there's pain and I know that there's strife in this world and I know that God is sovereign. And so in some weird way, he must be intermixed with this pain. He must be, he must be kind of working in this pain. He must be creating maybe this pain. And you'll hear people talk and they'll say things like this. I'm going through this dark time. I'm going through this hard time, but this must be the will of God. Or you'll hear people say, "Um, we're praying for healing for this person. We're praying for healing for this girl. We're praying for healing for this guy. But God, if it's your will, as if it is not God's will that people be healed, and as if it is not God's will that people be perfected. And it is true that God is all sovereign and it is true that he allows through his will certain things to happen. But what you need to understand tonight, and I say this with so much heart for you, is that it was not God's original intent for us. It was not his original will that we feel pain. That was never what he wanted for us. And that there is a huge difference between what God is authoring for your life and what he allowed the moment he gave us a free will. There is a huge difference, young adults, between what God is authoring for you and what he allows through our free will. Do you understand? Am I making sense? We'll go a little further. First John says this. 1 John 4 says, God is love. God doesn't do love. God doesn't just love you. God is the essence of love. He is love. When you, they are intermixed. You cannot say love without saying God. You cannot say God without saying love. And so you cannot, with theological integrity, say that God is love and all in the same breath say that he created something like cancer. You just can't say it unless you go to extreme lengths and have some deep theological twists. You cannot say that God is love and say that he made hurricanes. God is love, but he authored death. No, what God authored was the garden. What God authored was perfection. What he created was good and who he is, is good But what he allowed there in the garden, what he allowed through our free will was the fall of mankind. His intention towards us, you guys, is so good. And it's so much better than we know. 
And I'm talking this way tonight because I am so sick and tired of hearing people talk about their pain in such a way where they think that it is something that he in some way, shape, or form wants for them. It's not true. Jesus' intention towards Lazarus is good and his life and his glory. And his intention towards us in the, from the very beginning was good and glorious. He says, this sickness shall not end in death. Do you know what he's saying to us tonight? The sickness of sin in our lives shall not end in death, but for the glory of God. This is what he is preaching to us, and this is what he is preaching to Lazarus. He says, but when he heard this, he said, the sickness shall not end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Jesus, his original intention towards Lazarus was always glory, always. Number two, he loves Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. Lazarus is so sick that there is no longer any medical help for him. He is taken into hospice, into Martha's home, um, his sister. And they all know that if he does not get help from a miracle, he will die. And so Mary and Martha send a letter to Jesus and they send word to him and they say something like this. They say, Jesus, you have to come quick because the one that you love is sick. The one that you love is sick. A few months ago, it was November just of this last year, and I'm sitting on my couch, and um, I remember right where I was, and I was just kind of playing on my phone, and I saw that my mom was calling, and she had called earlier that day, and so I was like, oh, must be, you know, fairly important, because I don't know, we just, we do talk on the phone, but she doesn't call multiple times a day, and so I pick up the phone and say, oh, hey, mom, you know, what's going on? And she says, hey, Jess. You know, and I can like so there's tension in her voice, and uh, she asks a couple of small talk questions, and then she says, "I have we have to talk about something." She says, uh, "Jess, I have been diagnosed with cancer." And in that moment, she she starts talking about treatment and what stage of cancer it is, and what we're gonna do about it, and what we're gonna walk through. And I can't think anymore, and um, the whole world around me just goes dark. And John comes downstairs and he's like, are you okay? And I'm getting off the phone. And I just, I go upstairs and I crawl into my bed and kind of darkness envelops me. And I remember thinking about my mom. I'm like, this is my mom, Lord. This is my mom. This is the one who raised me. This is the one who put bandages on my knees. This was the one who took care of me. This is the one who... Um, this is the one who held me because I was so awkward in middle school and I got made fun of and I would come home and just cry. Like, this is my mom, Lord. This is my mom. And Martha and Mary write a, uh, write a letter to Jesus. And I would think that their letter would be something like this. Jesus, come because this is our brother. This is our, this, I, we love him. I, we need him. This is our brother. Please come quick. But they don't write that. They say, Jesus, and they implore him to come, not because we love him, Jesus, but because the one that you love, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Come, the one that you love. And there is a whole bunch of us in here tonight who are smack dab in the middle of a storm that is in need of some silver lining. And God wants you to know tonight that the one that he loves is brokenhearted. And you're in here tonight. The one that he loves 
is broken. The one that he loves is broke. The one that he loves can't get a job. The one that he loves feels lost. The one that he loves watched his family go through hell. The one that he loves. They write him and they say, it's, it's the one that you love, Jesus. And you need to know two things that he originally authored for you, glory. That's his will for you. That's what he wants for you. He wants goodness for you and life for you. And number two, that he loves you. Those of you who know the story of Lazarus, you know that he actually ends up passing away. Jesus gets held up, and it's most likely because Pharisees are trying to hunt him down to um, take his life. And so he hides for a little while before he goes finally to go visit Lazarus. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has passed away. He's dead. And Martha comes out to meet him, and and he's been four days dead, and she says, he's already gone, Jesus. But she says, I know, I know that you said it would not end in death. And so even now, if you say, raise raise him from the dead, I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you will do that. And he goes, and he talks with Martha, and she's crying, and he, he sends for Mary, and Mary's crying. And it says this, then the Jews who were in her house and consoling her, when they saw Mary, got up quickly and went out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to see Jesus, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Haven't you ever felt this way? Hasn't this been you? God, if you, had been, if you had answered my prayer, this would not have happened to me. If you had answered my prayer, this would not have happened to my family. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Have you ever thought about, young adults, what it was like for God the day that humanity fell. Have you ever thought about what God felt the day that humanity fell? What was that like for him? Because Jesus is weeping here over the fall of humanity. He's weeping for Mary and for Martha. He's weeping with them because of their loss. I remember after we found out about my mom, I called my dad and I said, hey, you know, and my dad's a blue collar guy, he owns a construction business, and so we talk about, you know, his business for a little while, and finally I get to the gist and I'm like, so dad, how are you doing, you know? And he's not one of those men that opens up about his feelings very often, and he simply said, you know, Jess, there are times where I just freeze and I feel like I can't breathe. And in this moment, Jesus is with Mary and Martha and he can tell what they are feeling and he is taking on what they are feeling and he knows that it feels like they can't breathe. Like the pain and the fear and the sorrow is too much. Jesus is weeping with them. And Jesus is weeping for Lazarus because he loved him. Because it was his friend, it was his brother. And lastly, Jesus is weeping because it was never supposed to be this way. It was never supposed to be this way. This was not what he intended at the beginning of creation. I think Jesus in this moment isn't just weeping because Lazarus has died. He is weeping because he is seeing the devastating effects of our sin over all of humanity. 
He is weeping for the loss of his children. He is weeping for the death of his children. It was never supposed to be this way. Do you understand? It was never supposed to be this way. The scripture goes on, the story goes on, and John 11 says this. So Jesus began, or Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. And now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time, by this time he is decaying. He's been there for four days, Jesus, maybe don't go in. But then he says to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and he said to the father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said so that, you, um, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who um, had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Band, you guys can come back out here. What we are witnessing, you guys, is the redemptive story in one chapter of the book of John. Jesus is looking at his friend, at Lazarus, and he says, I love you. I created you for glory. I care about you. This will not end the way that you think it will end. And then we witness death and devastation doing its work in Lazarus. And then we witness the tenacity of Jesus not allowing death to have the final word and not allowing death to have the final say. Jesus will always get his glory. And that's what I'm here to tell you tonight. Jesus will always get his glory out of your story and out of my story. Every time. It's who he is. It's the only way he knows to operate. Jesus walks into the tomb. And his voice is shaking probably with anger about the, lo- the loss of his child. He, he's upset, he's been weeping, he's been weeping with his friends, he feels everything that we feel. Scripture tells us that there is no emotion and there is no temptation, there is nothing that, he, he, that we have experienced that he himself has not experienced. And so he's weeping over the loss of Lazarus and I see him walk into the tomb and then he yells and I can't do a yell like Jesus, but he says, Lazarus, come out. And in that moment, Lazarus comes out in his wrappings, in his funeral wrappings. And he says, unbind him, unwrap him, unchain him, come forth. And I love this scripture because when he's talking to Martha, he's, he's so kind about it, you guys, but he says, Martha, I'm going to need you to get out of the way uh, because I have something to do. And there are people in here tonight that you need to set aside the Martha within you so that Jesus can get in to your tomb because there are not just dozens of you, but there are hundreds of you in this room who are entombed by your pain. You are entombed by a pain that has happened to you, by something that happened to your family, by something that you can't describe, by something that has never been made right in your life. You are entombed. 
And Jesus tonight would love to roll away the stone and he would love to say, come forth, come out of it. Come out of it because glory stories are the only stories I know how to write. And listen to me, some of you in here have been blaming God for your pain. And I so nicely and the best way and the kindest way I wanna put this for you, he's incapable of writing that for you. Do you understand? It's not who he is. You blame him for your pain, but he never wrote it that way. Jesus, when he's calling Lazarus, his voice is shaking, and I just picture him feeling, it was never supposed to be this way. It was never supposed to be this way. My creation, my children. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God? We talk about the sovereignty of God, and we say, it is better for us to talk about the sovereignty of God this way. The sovereignty of God is not displayed in him allowing pain into our lives. The sovereignty of God is displayed in him never allowing pain to get the final word in your life. That is where he is tonight and that is who he is for you tonight. It's who he is. It's who he is, you guys. He can no more stop his glory from happening to your life than he can stop himself from existing. He is love. He is glory. And he will not stop until he uses this pain in your life and he turns it around for glory. He will use this pain in your life. And there are so many of you in here, like I just said, who are entombed by different types of pain. And I'm gonna get to that in a second. But there are some of you in here who have avoided Jesus for a long time. You have avoided being with Jesus for a long time because you think that in some way, shape, or form, if there is a God, there is no way he would have allowed these things to happen to you. And can I just say this tonight, that he never wanted it to be that way for you. But if you would allow him, he would love to be in the middle of your pain. And so tonight, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know who he is, if you don't know how good he is, and I don't care if one person stands up, if no people stand up, if you would like to meet Jesus for the very first time tonight, I would love to invite you out of your tomb and I would love for you to just stand up. Could you stand right now? Amen. Amen. lastly, the lead team is going to come up front, and I just think there are a whole bunch of people that could use some ministry tonight, that my words aren't enough, but that God wants to do a work within your tomb tonight. And so we're going to have them come up front, and if you need prayer, we are praying prayers of glory and restoration over you tonight, because that is who he is. Understand that he never intended it for be, to be this way, but he will ensure, if you allow him, he will ensure that your story does not end without a glory, that your pain doesn't stop where it's at right now no matter what you're feeling no matter where you're at that he wants to work in your life and bring glory in the middle of your darkest times it's the only story he knows to write and so during worship I just invite you up for prayer in Jesus name let's worship <laughs>